You're listening to the Family Discipleship Podcast, a podcast of training the church. This is Adam Griffin, and before I introduce you to our distinguished guests, let me first introduce you to my two lovely co-hosts. First, the president of the Wilkin Family Fam Club, Cassie Bryant. Cassie, how are you doing today? I'm so good. I think you missed a word there. It was the president of the Wilkin Family Pugs Fan Club. Oh, oh you just love the dogs. <laughs> it's, it's mostly the pugs. No. <laughs> Jen, how many dogs do you have in your house? Is it 10 to 20, 20 to 30? You, you would think based on my Instagram account that there is a whole herd, but it's just two, just a nice moderate number of pugs. Moderate number of pugs. Well, we already jumped to Jen, but first let me introduce my other co-host, a true woman of the word, Miss Chelsea Griffin. Chelsea, how are you doing today? I'm good, and I'm disappointed that when I ran for president uh, of the Wilkin Family <laughs> Fan Club, I lost to Cassie Bryant. I'm oh. sorry. It, I would accept know, just, vice president. Uh, I need a historian, actually, and I need you to run AV uh, for the Wilkin Family Fan Club, <laughs> if that's all right. I'm not good at either of those. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a distinct honor to have with us today one of Family Discipleship Podcast's top 10 most influential guests we've ever had. Miss Jen Wilkin. Hi, guys. Jen, how are you? I'm good. How's everybody? Oh, so good. It's Friday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's Friday here. Yes. Here. No. Oh, man. We're so happy to have you on, Jen. I know we could probably spend the episode talking about pugs, but before we jump in, let me just give a personal encouragement. When we were first becoming parents, Chelsea and I, Chelsea took you out for coffee. You may remember. Although you've taken, mm-hmm. you've been out to coffee with probably 1 million women in the DFW area. But Chelsea that's took a, you out for that's coffee. That's a good rough estimate, yeah. <laughs> but uh, Chelsea <laughs> asked you about discipling her kids and it made such a huge impact on our family from the very beginning. And so uh, getting to talk with you about this topic is really special. You may remember, uh, well, let me say it like this. Do you remember the question she was most concerned about? I think it was... I don't want to say it if I'm wrong. You can say I'll, it. I'll was it about work? Okay. Was it about work? Oh, no. Uh, we had like a six-month-old baby. So this was almost uh-huh. 10, 10 years ago. And the, the most important thing I wanted to ask you is how do we make sure our kids are funny? Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I was like, I... I'm so sanctified now. I don't want to show them all this garbage, all the stuff that helped me become funny. Uh, but I would like them to be funny and yet sanctified. And now I don't know how to do that. Um, yeah, and, it's yeah. tough. Because like we helpful. both love, we love that ironic humor that sometimes wanders into sarcasm. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh gosh, I don't want to raise mean, funny kids. I want to <laughs> no. just raise funny, funny kids. Yeah. But a lot of my humor historically has walked the line. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's tricky. Are, are your kids funny? Yeah, our littlest one's real funny. But uh, yeah, some of them, some of them struggle with the when and how to use sarcasm. Oh yeah, the little one's funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the when and how of sarcasm yeah. is still real tough for the kids. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, a lot of people know Jen Wilkin, the Bible teacher. My first introduction to you and to Jeff was as Matt's parents. I. I got to meet Matt first and your oldest child who's now married, which is pretty awesome. Uh, but not only that, but my, mm-hmm. first, my first introduction to you as a teacher was the parenting class you all taught together, which was super influential for our family. So for those who have not had the privilege yeah. to know Jeff and Jen, the mom and dad, what is the Wilkin family like? Help us know. We know you, the author. We know you, the teacher. What's the Wilkin family like? So we have four kids. They were born all within a four-year period. There's exactly four years between the oldest and the youngest. And they go boy, girl, girl, boy. 
So that enabled us to have, I mean, you know, it was like everybody had a dance partner when we took swing dance lessons. Everybody always has had a buddy, which has been kind of fun. I came from a family that had three children or five children, depending on how you numbered us. Uh, We're a blended family. And so it was always a little lopsided and we ended up with symmetry in in our family that I've really enjoyed. They are now 25, 24, 23, and 21. Wow. And we also actually have picked up an additional child along the way who we added into our family her senior year of high school. And her name is Micaiah. And she is, if you see the pictures of our family, we call her the half Wilkin, not because we love her half as much as everyone else, but because she is a small person and we are giants. <laughs> and so it's always really funny <laughs> to, to see the pictures and people are like, who is the small one? And we're like, That's, yeah, she's the, she's our late ad. Yeah. So um, we're counting them as five now. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And you're about to be grandparents. That's right. Yeah. We're going to be grandparents in November. So that should be fun. Exciting. That's what awesome. is that like? What is it for you? What has that been like? So it doesn't really feel real yet. I felt little Henry kick in Mary-Kate's stomach, and that was really cool. But it feels a lot like I felt when I was becoming a mom. I am not a particularly warm and fuzzy person. And I remember praying that the Lord would give me maternal instincts when I had Matt. And I remember being in the hospital thinking, oh, Lord, it's time. Like, help me feel all the feelings. And of course you do, you know. But I think with the grandbaby, it's kind of the same thing. It's like, oh, gosh, am I going to know how to do this? And obviously— yes, the second you see that baby, you're going to be crazy about it. But it's hard to even know. It's just an experience I haven't had yet, so I can't anticipate it very well. so exciting. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. They're going to be great parents. Like, that's part of the excitement is knowing that Nathan and Mary-Kate are just going to be great parents. They're a great team. Well, one thing that we have talked about a lot lately in the Griffin house that we want to hear from you on is we want to be a safe place for our kids. We want them to bring the things they hear about from their friends or influences they see in the world. And we want them to ask us and for that to be open and safe. And we feel like you guys did a really great job at that with your kids. Um, What kind of intentionality went into being available to your kids to talk about hard things? How did you create that, that safety for them? Yeah, we we always call this creating a climate of conversation in the home. And I think a lot of parents think that that's something you would start to do once your child is actually conversational. So, you know, that they have to have a certain level of speech development to be able to enter into dialogue with you. But it actually starts much younger than that. It It doesn't mean you can't start it once they're older, but the ideal scenario is that you start inviting them into dialogue as soon as they're able to respond, whether that is just by pointing at something or, you know, any kind of uh, interactive response that you can get with them is the beginning of creating that climate of conversation. So when they are in preschool and they come back and you say, hey, um, did mommy draw a picture on your napkin today? And they nod their little head and you say, what was it, butterfly? You know, like those are fact-based questions, but what they're doing is setting up a rhythm of when you walk in the door, we're going to talk about your day. And so you start by giving them questions that are easy to respond to. And of course, the goal of all of this is so that you don't have big conversations. Like you don't have the sex talk. You have a thousand smaller conversations about sexuality. Uh, You don't have the faith talk. You have a thousand smaller conversations about faith. The climate of conversation starts in view when they're very small. And then the payoff is as they get older, it's their expectation that those back and forths would be happening. 
That's great. I I love that. And I do think you've seen that. Do you still see that now as your kids are older? Do you feel like that's continued? Uh, Oh, yeah. I mean, it's the family text thread now because we're all kind of thrown (laughs) to the four winds. But the conversations to start there and get kicked around, you know, sharing of articles, sharing of ideas. And it's really, really fun. That's awesome. One of my favorite things you you read, you did, it was with your kids who are older. I think, I don't know if you wrote a blog about this, but you talked about how when they got in the car, you guys would play a game of whether or not you know about the words that they heard in school. That oh, day. yeah. <laughs> I love that. You're like, just test me. Just just try me and see. That's so yeah. great. Yeah, I basically was like, try to stump me on swear words. And yeah. uh, it, was, it was hysterical. But again, like you want them to know you know. You don't want them yeah. to think that they have information that you don't know, that they're afraid that if you knew they had it, you would not love them. And so you yeah. instead, you just like burst, burst that wide open. Hey, I bet you can't tell me something I don't know about sex. Yeah, that's great. That, that actually got awkward a couple of times. PBH. There were a few times where I'm like, oh, I, I didn't think you were going to say what you just said. What's the expression on my face right now? Yeah, so good. Well, as much as like, I'm sure that Chelsea and I are not perfect parents because they get to see us do it. And I'm positive Cass is not a perfect parent because we talk all the time. You, you and Jeff are pretty much perfect parents, but I imagine there have been some moments where maybe <laughs> the imperfections slipped through. Can you think of a time where things maybe did not go according to plan that could be an encouragement to listeners as we get warmed up in this conversation that can help them relate a little bit to the fact that the Wilkin house may have been close to perfect, but what were the, what were the times or what comes to mind for you when you think about what did not go according to plan? Yeah, I knew that my liability as a parent was going to be a tendency toward punishing or correcting out of anger instead of doing what was just or appropriate. And I was really, really concerned about that. And when I had the day where anger ruled instead of a measured response, I carried a lot of guilt around it. Mm. I just did. It was it was rough because it's, you know, that whole thing of like, oh gosh, am I going to step into a pattern that I am really, really trying to not model? And I have one memory in particular. Mary-Kate and I talked about it just recently. And it's it's one of those memories that like, I know it's going to dog me until my dying day. And it was when she had gone outside and destroyed something. There was a, it was one of those things that you attach to the hose that shaped like a flower and it shot water all over the yard. And she had taken it and just torn it up. And I don't even know why. I don't know what, like she's not, she wasn't like a destructive kid. So it wasn't even characteristic of her personality to do something like this. And for whatever reason, probably because I had four small children and was exhausted and I'm a sinner, I, um, <laughs> I overreacted. I'm not a yeller, but I, I took away one of her baby dolls and I gave it away in the giveaway box. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's, that's cold-blooded because <laughs> she loved those babies. I mean, like you they all a had child. a soul to her, you know, and, and the baby's name was Mimi. I still remember the baby's name. And so every now and then I'll text Mary-Kate, I'm still so sorry about Mimi. And she's like, <laughs> mom, stop <laughs> talking about Mimi. I am fine. Uh, and so I think the, the word of encouragement that I would have is that, uh, yeah, that was a bad day of parenting, like a memorably bad day, but it didn't characterize me, praise God. And so when Mary-Kate looks back on her child rearing years in our home, she does not think of me as someone who parented out of anger. Although I had a day 
or two or six where I did. So mm. you can allow the strength of the span of your time with your child to define what characterizes you. There's grace for you on the days when you fail. Mm. So grateful for that. I am similar. So I have had moments that, I mean, I still will replay. Yeah. And it's like, if I bring it up to my oldest, she has no recollection. Yeah. It. It's like, well, praise God. That is just yeah. the grace of God that has covered yeah. that. You guys give a lot of parenting advice as you've kind of gone throughout ministry over the last couple of decades. What advice did you receive when they were very little or you were young parents that was just so valuable that you've kind of kept and you give, maybe even pass on to others? Yeah, it wasn't explicitly stated as a piece of advice, but I picked up on it from my mentor, Pat Connor. I remember being at the church one day. She was at our, she was the children's minister at our last church, and we were up at the church, and the kids were with me, and we had some interaction in front of her. And she said, You speak to your children like they're people. And she said, That's going to pay huge dividends down the road. Mm. And and even the pediatrician had remarked on it one time that when we were in the pediatrician's office, if he asked a question of the child, the child was given time to respond. Like I didn't jump in and fill in the blank. I don't think it was top of mind for me, but it became top of mind for me then in terms of a theological understanding of children that they should be treated as people. They're not half people or becoming people. They are full full image bearers. Yeah. And, and I remember connecting that to loving your neighbor as you love yourself and realizing these are the closest neighbors that I have. And so that command is incumbent on me in my interactions with them. They're not people who are my subordinates, although there is certainly an authority role that the parent plays. Even in that authority role, to view them as fully human as my yeah. neighbor changes the way that that authority plays out. That's so good. Yeah, I, re- I remember that from you had the little parenting class y'all did at the village. And it was super helpful to me because you talked about how sometimes parents talk to kids in a way that you wouldn't talk to your next door neighbor. You would not scream at your right. next door neighbor and tell them to do something right now or, or things like mm-hmm. that, just the tone in our voice or whatever, treating them truly like less than a person. And uh, that was super helpful mm-hmm. for me when my kids were, were really, really little, especially because it's a, that's kind of different than the home I grew up in. And so I was super encouraged by that. Well, Jim, one thing that we see you write about a lot is the attributes of God. And we want to know how did the attributes of God come up for y'all in conversations with your kids? Well, thankfully, we had a great curriculum that was playing out at our church that was reinforcing a lot of the things that we wanted to see happening at home. Honestly, I mean, at, at the village, that is the that's the KV curriculum, and it's also down in in our in our preschool curriculum as well. That we tell children that these are the things that are true about God, and we give them simple definitions. And so it was honestly for us to be able to partner with the church in in inviting those kinds of conversations into our own discipleship moments at home felt like just a home run in terms of partnering the way that you would want it to happen. And basically, just anytime we would sit down to read the Bible together, you start with the question, what does this say about God? Now, obviously, the younger your children are, the more hysterical the responses are going to be to this. And and it's okay. They get to, you know, this is actually the way that adults learn too. We just, we're more self-conscious about it. Sometimes you have to say the wrong thing or the partially right thing in order to to get to the right thing. And so um, we just would always try to start with that question. What does it say about God? Because 
you guys know, and I'm, I'm the Bible literacy, like I'm always ranting about it, but the most typical approach that we take when we open the scriptures that has actually been trained into us in a way that's unhelpful is to ask first, what does this say about me? Right. I do like to say, I do like to point out though, that with, with children, I think often we begin discipleship in the wrong place. We start with the doctrine of sin instead of with the doctrine of God and then the doctrine of man, which is the order that the Bible goes in. It starts Mm. in Genesis 1 with the doctrine of God and moves immediately to the doctrine of man. And then in chapter 3, we get the doctrine of sin. So that's why you want to start your kids with, hey, what's true about God? And then, well, how do you, what does that mean is true about you? You know, the God who knows everything knows you and and Mm. loves you. That's significant. And don't be so eager to pull the trigger on telling them that they have a sin problem. That's a really tough concept for a small child. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We were reading in Second Timothy this morning and asked that question. We were just in the first chapter. So when he's just kind of talking about thanking God for Timothy and uh, we asked the kids, what does this tell us about who, you know, who God is? We mm-hmm. finished the chapter and one of the girls was like, God has a grandma named Lois. Yes. What? I was like, well, no, actually. <laughs> no, God does not have a grandma named Lois. <laughs> That's so great. Anyway, we're like, well, they were paying attention, kind of. But, but you, know, you, know, you punished her though, right? For having a wrong answer? Right, no, right. No, you just take her doll away. That's what you should do. <laughs> Yeah. Have you guys seen yeah. that? Have you guys seen that video of the little girl learning the the Lord's prayer, and she says that God's name is Harold because Harold be that no. name. <laughs> so great! What is God's name? Well, God's name is Harold. Our Father art in heaven. Harold be that name. Uh, we have a good backlog at our church of just great stories with kids. It's just they're the best. So yeah. fun to teach them theology. Jen, if you could go back. When your first child was born, what is one piece of advice you would give yourself? Relax. Mm. I mean, Jeff always says it's much harder to kill a baby than you think. Like it basically, (laughs) you're afraid you're going to drop them. You're afraid you're going to starve them, you know? And so I do think when they're, when they're (laughs) tiny, just relax. Like you're probably not the least capable person to ever have a child, you know, like you probably have the basic skills you need. And so relax. And one way that you can relax is by asking for help and not from the internet, like have actual humans that you can reach out to and ask for help. And so, you know, I do think a lot about how when, when I was having kids, so that was the late nineties, my kids were born 96 to 2000. You had a book or two that you could consult and you had your mom, you know, or your stepmom or whoever. And that was pretty much it. And that was a gift to not have a thousand different sources of input. So I just mentioned that here because telling young moms to relax and not also pointing to the fact that Google will not help you relax seems like mm. it would be a, a miss. Yeah, that's really helpful. So I'm curious about too, kind of a more general wide question about the nuts and bolts of what spiritual leadership looked like in the Wilkin home. Did you guys have formal time mm-hmm. in the Word together? Was everybody kind of on their own? And how did, how did it change as your kids have gotten older? Yeah, so when the kids were little, you know, the way that I try to describe it is it starts with high frequency, low depth when they're little. So it's every night you're repeating a prayer together. That's kind of how it starts. Or every night you're doing something very small. Maybe you're reading from a picture Bible or something like that as they get a little older. 
And then by the time they hit middle school and high school, it's probably not every night anymore, but when it does happen, you're able to do much more, right? And so that's a natural progression in my mind across the years that we have our kids at home. So you start with high frequency, low depth, and you move to lower frequency, higher depth. So we went from, you know, the repeated prayer to teaching them to pray for each other in the prayer time, you know, maybe reading a Bible story together. So that would have been elementary, early elementary, where they become developmentally able to think about the needs of others and not just their own needs, right? That's the natural progression of of maturity in a child. And so you start pointing them toward that. So it's not just tell me your prayer request. It's we go around and we all say, these are the things that I would love prayer for. And then at the end, I'll take dad's, I'll take Matt's, I'll take Claire's, so that you don't know in advance whose you have to take. So you're listening to everyone's in a way that you can then pray for them. So it's it's sort of an active listening exercise that's others focused. And then by the time everyone's able to read, and I realize in some families that's not, that doesn't happen in a neat sequence because of the space between children, we would just pick a book of the Bible and we would read through it a section at a time. And Jeff was really great. He would say, come with two observations and two questions. And I'm like, oh no, I mean, they need to like mark up the passage and they need to, Mm. you know, repeated words and phrases and what's the major theme and a little outline. And he's like, hey, you're going to need to chill and we're going to go with two (laughs) questions and two (laughs) observations. Yeah. Yeah. And he was right. I mean, it was, you know, it was enough to have a good dialogue around the dinner table together, which is where we ultimately did it as the kids got older. We, by the time they were in high school, it was one night a week. It was Monday nights at the dinner table. That's great. I love that. Over the years, what are some of the prayers that you prayed for your kids that you got to see the Lord answer? That they would have their own faith, that they would see dad and mom as human uh, at an early age. I did not want them to leave our home and learn that we were human after they had left. We Mm -hmm. wanted them to work through some of that while they were still at home and we could parent through it. And so I think I want, we, I prayed that they would encounter, you know, real challenges that, that we could deal with while they were still with us. And that, gosh, that we would remain, you know, we had a, we had an added difficulty of, you guys know, like you're on staff at a church, people want your kids to be something and they want you to be something. They want you to be a perfect parent and they want to know that doing the right things will yield the right outcomes. And so we, we prayed that our children would have the freedom to fail, even mm. if it was a public failure, in a way that would build character in them and not bitterness. That's good. That's good. Hey, friends, it's March, and that means Easter is right around the corner. In fact, Easter is in March this year. It's part of the reason I'm pumped to tell you about one of our sponsors who's got a really special Easter deal. This is a great time to get some new resources to disciple your family. Our friends over at Lithos Kids are having an Easter basket sale. They've got the brand new Little Pilgrims Big Journey complete box set. It's now available. Guys, I can't tell you how much I love this resource. If you don't have it, you need to go check it out. Kids and parents have loved reading about Bunyan's beloved tale of Christian and his adventure to follow the king's path to Celestial City. And now you can get all three books in one box set along with a map and it comes with a coloring book and the whole thing is just 60 bucks. 
You can use the code FAMILY10 to get 10% off your entire order at Lithos Kids right now. So what a great discipleship opportunity. To find all this, go to lithoskids.com. See all the items in their Easter promo, including their new release, the Parables of Jesus, and the Kingdom of God Bible Storybook. Guys, we love Lithos Kids. You're going to love them too. Go check it out today, lithoskids.com, and remember the promo, FAMILY10, to get 10% off your entire order. Sometimes hard things happen. Sometimes they happen to children. When God Makes Scribbles Beautiful is a beautifully illustrated book that helps kids trust that God can take their hard things and use them for good. This picture book imagines that the hard things in a child's life is a scribble following him everywhere. Readers will journey through God's promises from the Bible, inspiring hope and faith in God's good and redemptive plan. Hard things don't always go away, but God can turn them into something beautiful. Available at BeautifulScribbles.com. Download a free parent connection guide and printable scripture cards. Jen, you had mentioned the church earlier. What role has the church played in coming alongside your family as you guys have discipled them? Well, Jeff has actively served in Kids Village in children's ministry for our entire time at our church, which has meant that not only have the resources that the church has put out been something that we had a lot of access to and familiarity with, but he was always great about bringing the kids in to serve with him in those spaces when they aged out of them. And I I can't even say that we had like a master plan. It was just that we've always really enjoyed doing what we're doing with each other. But what ended up happening was our kids got a real sense of, oh, I don't just attend, I serve. Like I start paying back as soon as I'm at the next stage of development. And I'm thankful that we were at a church that had clear pathways for service and that didn't withhold them from children, you know, kids who were at a developmental stage where they were able to start serving back into the system. And it's funny because like, you know, you see Lifeway put out these studies that show what keeps kids in church after they've left the home. And that's a huge factor is whether they were able to serve in some capacity. Mm -hmm. I think number one was whether they were taught to read their Bibles which I'm, I'm thrilled that that made number one. Uh, and then also having meaningful ways to serve, to contribute. That's so great. Some of my favorite memories with your family are your kids coming as camp leaders. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I just loved it. The amount of time in the summers we'd get with the Wilkin girls in those cabins. They were, they were such great leaders. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Jen, a lot of people know, and we haven't mentioned it yet, but I think a lot of our listeners will know that you've written some really helpful books about studying the Bible. You wrote Women of the Word. You've written some great books about the attributes of God. You've got a a newer book out, 10 Words to Live By. For you, who's you've dedicated so much of your life to biblical literacy and helping people get the most out of the Bible as they are supposed to. What, for you, when it comes to family discipleship and comes to the Wilkin home, what scriptures have guided you in the way that you lead or have guided you or that come to mind most often when you think about your children? Well, I know it's sort of a trite uh, one to bring up because it's one that a lot of people would point to, but I stand by it at Deuteronomy 6, where it talks about um, talking about these things when you're walking in the way and when you're, oh, it makes me cry sitting at home, lying down, rising up, because it implies that there will be a lot of overlap in the time that we spend together, which is counterintuitive to a lot of parents today. 
because of the way that we are conditioned by, I mean, things like, honestly, like parent peer pressure, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, my kid's got to be in a thousand activities. And I remember us reading that and and really meditating on it and thinking, we're going to have to fight hard to have that much overlap in our family time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you read like the statistic, just sociologically, family dinner two to three times a week reduces the risk categories for your kids exponentially. And so the church of all places should be a place that says, this is a value. Shared time is a value. And so I think often about that passage and how it's solidified for us. I mean, you know, Adam, you, you guys talk all the time about time moments and milestones and that time piece is, uh, it, I think the saying is quality time is a function of quantity time. And that was what Deuteronomy 6 was pointing us toward. It's just like you, there is no substitute for long, boring stretches on a regular basis <laughs> yes. as a family that, that are the places where those conversations begin that you wanted to have, that are the places where you realize these are the people who will be my people forever. That kid, you know, Jeff used to always say, this still cracks me up. He would say to the kids, hey, do you know who sat next to me? You know who my best friend was in the second grade? And they'd be like, no. And he'd be like, yeah, me neither. I have no idea where that kid is now, (laughs) but you know who I am best friends with? My sister. And Mm. so, you know, it was just this, hey, these are the people who are, you're going to walk through life with whether you love them or despise them. So we should spend, we should commit a lot of overlap time to loving them. Amen. Not to like toot our podcast horn. I don't want to toot our podcast. Do we have a podcast horn? um, I'd love to get a podcast horn. Can you toot it? Can we make that happen? I would like you to toot it right now. But I would like to point out that I think every episode Deuteronomy 6 has come up. Yeah. The Shema yeah. has come up. Like either a guest has brought it up or it's come up in our conversation. I just, I love that. I feel like it's the mark of a quality family discipleship. Yeah, I think Deuteronomy 6 is such a, it's the quintessential summary of what we all hope for. And it's what Jesus pointed to as the greatest commandment, right? He said, that we're going to love the Lord our God with yes. all our heart, soul, and mind. And here's how it's going to go. It's going to be everywhere. You know, yep. You're not just going to do this some of the time. It's not going to be a compartment of your lives. This is who you guys are. If you're following me and you have one God, this is what your life looks like. Well, Jen, before we yeah. let you go, if you're willing to share with us, what are some of the prayers you have for your kids right now? If our listeners want to pray for the Wilkins, what can we ask God for on your behalf? I'm praying that the joy of their salvation would increase with the number of their years. And I'm praying that they would look not just to their own interests, but to the interests of others. And that they would, if they have, if they have seen open-heartedness and hospitality in our home at all, that it would characterize the homes that they're now building. Why are you making me cry on your podcast? <laughs> it's, um, we didn't have a horn. We needed some crying. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm also, honestly, just pray that they will all move back into my house and live with me uh, forever. Yeah, that's the dream. I, I'm or like, you and Jeff oh, get an a RV. Compound. Yeah, I'm like, a compound. I get it. That actually doesn't sound crazy to me. That sounds like exactly what the doctor ordered. So... <laughs> Uh, no, I'm teasing, but we we really have enjoyed such closeness that I think we're in a stage of life where it's just not a certain, it's not a given for us, but it's still a desire that we have to be together as often as is, is feasible. So I think pray that the Lord would give us opportunity to see each other as is appropriate to our stage of life. Jen, we are so grateful for your leadership in all of this, but as, especially as a as a mom for my family, you've made such a huge impact. And thank you for the time you've given us today. Your wisdom is always so 
practical and helpful and inspirational and at the same time very challenging because I feel like when I listen to the way your family has gone, the fruit of it now, you can see how that wisdom has come to bear on real human lives, on the four kids the Lord has given you to raise and how we've gotten to see the fruit of that. So thank you so much for the time today, Jen. Well, you know, I'm the biggest, I'm the number one fan. I may not be the president or the vice president of the Family (laughs) Discipleship Podcast, but I am its number one fan. So thank you so much for inviting me on. You got it. Well, listeners, if you want to join the conversation, you can find us on social media. Thanks for listening. And if you think it's as important as we do to disciple your families, give us a great review wherever you listen to the podcast and share this episode with one of your friends.